Hey there, I'm Kevin Daisy. And I'm Eric Olson. You're listening to the Managing Partners Podcast, where we interview top lawyers about how they're growing their firms. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Managing Partners Podcast. I'm Kevin Daisy, and I'm your host. Always trying to bring you great guests from all corners of the world with different backgrounds and expertise. And today I have Robert Bracknell, or he also goes by Butch, is his nickname. Thank you so much for joining me today and uh, excited to learn more about what you had to share today. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I do go by Butch. My friends call me Butch. You're my friend, so let's go with that. So, uh, yeah, me and uh, Robert have actually sat down and, and had lunch, and he's in my local area. So when we connected about being on the podcast here, decided, hey, let's let's meet in person when we can. So, and that's a, a topic we'll we'll kind of touch on uh, today too, uh, just kind of pre-gaming for this this episode, which we'll talk about here in just a bit. So. Happy Veterans Day to all those veterans out there. Thank you for serving. Now, actually, I don't like to say Happy Veterans Day, but thank you for serving. As we're recording this, it's a Friday, the day we're celebrating veterans. And uh, Butch, our guest here, is a veteran, and uh, thank you for your service. It's my pleasure. You know, I, we call it you know, that thing about Happy Veterans Day. Everyone says that, and I get it. It's a nice sentiment. I really love the way that the Commonwealth countries do it. They call it Armistice Day or Remembrance Day. And you go to the UK, yeah. it's much more somber than it is here. They just view the holiday differently than we do. But, I, yeah. you know, it, we're grateful. The, the, all of us are grateful for the acknowledgement and for the, for the sacrifice that taxpayers make. Um, it's a, it is a, um, all of us are kind of in this together. The veterans do the service piece, but it's the, it's the country that supports them that makes it possible. Sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I've always tried to stay away from saying thank or uh, happy Veterans Day, um, although I said it when I just said it. But yeah, I think people just naturally, you know, think happy everything, Thanksgiving, thank, yeah. you know, all these yeah. things and sure. just natural to them, I guess. They mean it's well, normal. I hope. Yeah. yeah. But thank you for your service, sir. And uh, thanks for joining me today to share more about what you do and, and some of your background. So first off, uh, tell us your story. You know, how you became an attorney, uh, obviously you served as well. So tell us what that was like in, in that transition. Like an accidental lawyer, Kevin, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I grew up in rural North Carolina and went to college at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, seven-time basketball national champion. You may have heard of him. <laughs> it's a, basketball's a big deal down in Chapel Hill. But they, um, you know, an ROTC scholarship made my attending college possible or made it more likely anyway. Uh, and so I, I took the scholarship basically as financial aid, not really knowing much about, I have a big service history in my family. And so, you know, in my head somewhere, I, I believed abstractly about service. But when I got to Carolina and got around a group of, of men and women that I would serve with in the future, it really clicked with me uh, and I found my groove there. So I was really thankful. I, I came in with a Navy scholarship. Soon I realized that my skills and kind of identity gravitated towards the Marine Corps. So I switched over to the Marine Corps. I started, um, started my service as an armor officer driving tanks at Camp Lejeune. I spent a tour as a platoon commander at Company XO. And I looked up and I said, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know if this is what I want to do for the rest of my career. It's great for an initial experience. But I didn't really believe that tanks were going to stick around the Marine Corps. I didn't think they were compatible with the Marine Corps. 
turns out uh, I was right. I was just 20 years premature. And so I started looking around going, well, I'd like to stay in the Marine Corps, but I don't think I want to do this anymore. What else is out there? And someone said, hey, have you considered being a lawyer? And I go, not at all. What are you talking about? I didn't even know we had lawyers in the Marine Corps. And what? I mean, I guess abstractly I knew, but I didn't know much about it at all. And somebody said, well, here's a program. You should compete for it. So I competed for it and, uh, competed for it and got selected, and they sent me back to law school. So I, on the, on the Marine Corps' dime, I went to law school at the University of Maryland, uh, came out and went and practiced as a prosecutor and special assistant U.S. attorney out in California, moved from there to Germany, went to Iraq for the first time, went to Bosnia as well while I was in Germany. And then I was thinking about, do I stay, do I go? At this point, I'm like at the 12-year mark. And I was thinking about, do I stay or do I go? And the Marine Corps said, hey, we'd like you to consider applying to this other program, which is a master of laws. And I said, well, all right, I'll, I'll compete for that. If I get it, I'll stay. If I don't get it, maybe I'll go. And I did get it. And I said, well, where am I going to go to school? And the program that they wanted me to, to, to do uh, was only available in a handful of schools. Really, it was Virginia, Georgetown, and Harvard. And so I said, well, I'm going to shoot the moon. And I shot for Harvard and they let me in. And so I went and spent a year in Cambridge uh, doing what's an LLM. It's kind of an archaic degree, but it's just a master of laws. And then I just spent the rest of my time in the Marine Corps. I went back to Iraq. I went to Afghanistan. And then my last tour was with the military commissions in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And that's where I decided to make the transition to, to do something for it. Um, so that's why I call myself the accidental lawyer. I didn't, it wasn't some deep-seated burning desire to be a lawyer. It was an opportunity that kind of fell on my lap, and I took it. And so I fully recognize the influence of serendipity on our lives. You know, it, there's under no circumstances do I believe everything was my own making or merit-based. Sometimes things just come together, and there's an opportunity, and you have to, have to decide whether to take it or not. And so that was my path. So I left the Marine Corps in 2014. I worked for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization as an in-house counsel for about nine years uh, in Norfolk. Most of NATO is situated in Europe, as everyone knows, but there is one 650-person organization right here in Norfolk, Virginia. And I worked in-house counsel there for um, about nine years. Procurement laws and compliance, basically everything that came through the door. But lots of uh, transactional work, lots of compliance work, some claims and litigation here and there, not a lot of it, um, some employment law, but really anything that came through the door. So after about nine, my intent from the get-go was to stay there about five years. And then at the five-year mark is about when COVID took over. So I sort of decided to sort of sit down and stay, uh, sit pat for a little while. While, uh, while COVID ran its course. So when COVID uh, ran its course and was pretty much you know over, although it's making a comeback now, when it was uh, when the worst part of it was over, I decided to, it was now, now was the time to, to go elsewhere. And that's when I moved over to Crenshaw Ware and Martin. And that's where I am now. Crenshaw Ware and Martin's a hundred year old uh, firm uh, in downtown Norfolk. Uh, and I do kind of you know general practice, general business practice, everything that comes through the door. The firm specializes in litigation, construction, maritime. I work on some cybersecurity things, um, contract law, those kinds of things. So I'm real happy with the firm. It's It's been a great experience. Uh, the attorneys and the staff there have been super welcoming, and it's been just a great transition experience for me. Excellent. Yeah, I'll, I like to hear different stories and transparency and just kind of how you got where you're at. So it's different than most that I hear. And I like that. Yeah. I was going to say that pathway is pretty different probably for most of your guests, I guess. I've had some lawyers be like, well, I just knew when I was like two years old that I would be a lawyer. And I'm like, okay. So you know, I've, I've heard some interesting stories, but definitely a unique one. So I appreciate that. And if anyone's listening on your car or audio, the web address for his firm is down below. 
It's cwm-law.com. So cwm-law.com. And you can check that out and check him out, check out what the firm does. A couple of the topics that we wanted to get into uh, were a little bit different. And uh, I appreciate you coming up with, with kind of what you could cover today. So I wanted to kind of jump into some of those uh, questions and, and, and see your take on those things. And, and so the, the first thing we wanted to talk about was just the changing nature you know, of the work. So as far as, yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, how firms are, you know, with the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic and and kind of the the changes you see there. Yeah. You know, it's firms. I think it's in-house too. And I I even think it's government lawyers uh, or government practice. Um, Everyone's going to have to come to grips with some of the things that are changing and they're changing uh, maybe faster than change has come to the practice of law before, because all of business is changing. I really believe this, the slope of change is accelerating. I think it's getting steeper and we're at a unique inflection point in our history here. You know, the practice of law really didn't change a whole lot for a real long time, but tech is going to influence everything and the pandemic influenced everything, uh, like it or not. So you watch the news now and there's plenty of stories about uh, supervisors who are really hard over them, forcing everybody to come back to the office and so forth. But I really think something clicked in our society. And I think that a good way to think about this would be for for managers, rather than forcing everybody to come back all the time is to afford people flexibility. There is a value in people being at work. Make no mistake about it. And so, you know, this term hybrid has crept into our lexicon a little bit about presence. I don't spend every day at the firm. I go in a bunch of days and then sometimes might, might not go down to the firm for two days if I have tasks that I can do at home. Uh, and my managing partner gives me flexibility to do that and the other partners. It's trusting people to know where they need to be, uh, particularly and, and trusting them with the adult judgment to know that. That's really important. It is um it is a vote of confidence and faith in their professionalism that they'll be where be where they need to be when they need to be, and then when they can afford not to, you know, not to endure the commute or have to get dressed to the nines to go to the office or so forth. If they can be equally productive in a polo or a t-shirt at home, then that's okay. Um, we need to measure this idea of equally productive. There was a lot. There's a lot. There were a lot of studies uh, during the pandemic where people were measuring productivity and said their productivity actually went up. When I was I was at home for almost a year working from NATO, and I really do believe I didn't really measure it, but anecdotally I think that I'm at least as productive as I would have been in the office because there's just less wasted time, there's less uh, random conversations, but those yeah. conversations also have value too because they're team building, they're people getting to know each other, they're fostering trust, and so you can't tr- foster trust just with a talking head, right? Hey there, this is Kevin Daisy, your host and founder of Array Digital. If you're tired of wasting money with agencies that just can't get it done, then please check out my law firm, Digital Marketing Agency, at ArrayDigital.com. If you contact us there, you'll be sure to line up a meeting with me where we'll walk through your exact situation and come up with a plan for what you can do to improve your marketing results. I look forward to talking to you. Now back to the show. All right, we're recording again, so I know where to clip it. I'll, we'll do it now. We we can do fine with it. We'll measure or, okay. uh, fade it in or something like that. So, Bush, I wanted to kind of ask, you know, some of the questions that you prepared that we were going to cover on this episode today. And and the first one I wanted to jump into was 
really what you see and, and I see too, and I can contribute here on just the, the changing nature of, of how we work in office and hybrid in person and kind of what the pandemic's done for that. So what do you see and, and what are your thoughts on that? I don't think an all or nothing approach either way is um, the healthiest approach, quite frankly. I don't think everybody being in the office all the time is always necessary because that's kind of like, you know, like a school attendance policy or something like that. Like presence is the thing that counts. Presence counts, but what really counts is competence and performance, right? And if you can be competent and performant but not, and perform well and not be sitting glued to your office, then that, in my view, that manufactures trust, that uh, embodies trust. That is the mark of a supervisor or a responsible partner looking at an associate and saying, yeah, I trust you to get your work done. And the proof is in the pudding, right? The, the, the person will either do it or they, they won't. I spent almost a year at home when I was working at NATO during the pandemic. And I honestly believe that my productivity was as good as it would have been in the office there's less inefficiency. Honestly, when you're working from home, there's less. If I steal five minutes or something like that to let the dogs out, that's not a 15 minute random conversation in the hallway that keeps me off of my work. And so, and those conversations are valuable. Don't get me wrong. Those conversations are valuable. You know, just getting to know people is valuable. Getting to know your clients, getting to know your coworkers, getting to know the people that you need to rely on to do things, to do your job. Those are super valuable. It's just a balance. So this idea that everybody's, you know, there's a lot of news about businesses are demanding that everybody go back to the office. I wonder if some of that is just to justify the fact that there's a lot of leases on office space, and and so they look at that as a yeah they look at that as a sunk cost and say, well, we've paid for the office space, everybody's got to be back in the office. That might not be the right answer either. The real question is, where can my people do the work in a way that maximizes our productivity, um, you know, in an ethical way? So I really yeah. don't think that. I think that allowing people some flexibility is a really important vote of trust in them. And not everyone will, not everyone will deserve that trust. Some people will abuse it. And the manager has to suss out who is able to be productive and who can be trusted with their time and effort and who can't. And, and everyone isn't entitled to be treated exactly equally, right? I mean, they're not mostly equally, but when it comes to that kind of thing, some people require a little more supervision than others. And I think that that's okay. So this idea that everybody's got to flood back to the office, COVID just changed some things. And younger generations really want more flexibility and they're more willing to move on. I know some folks that have been with law firms for 30 and 40 years. I don't think you're going to see a lot of that in the future. I'm going to see a lot of people who believe in mobility. And so it's going to be up to managers to meet their workforce to a certain extent, to, to, to do, help them do the things that make them happy. And because they're happy, they're, they're satisfied and they're productive. You know, I, I also don't think that work from home is sustainable completely, except maybe in a few, if you're a coder, maybe, yeah. if, you know, if your work really consists just of your screen, but there just has to be a balance between the personal interaction that's required to do your jobs. Um, litigation does require people to be in person for the most part, for example. So maybe those people need to be around more. Some transactional lawyers might be able to be around a little less, things like that. But we need to find yeah. that balance yeah. between what makes people happy and productive going forward. Um, younger generations may just see it differently. And we can, you know, the old paradigms are the old paradigms and they're standards, but standards have to adjust and change to reality over time. And I think that managers, they kind of get, kind of need to get their heads around relating to the values of the people they're trying to leading, to lead. There's not a, there's, it's not absolute. It is relative to the people you're leading. Uh, and so we really need to think about that. Kevin, the second. Yeah, I, thing agree. I, want, 
Yeah. So the second I'll, thing I'll I, say, I I have a fairly remote team, right? So four or five people here in the office, and then out of thirty that are remote. So, but the nature of their job doesn't require them to be. And we're we have clients around the country that we're not going to see in sure. person either. So. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, and, and you have to have that flexibility. Trust, but verify. If you have the right processes in place and systems and checks and balances, then they can't go but so long if they're not actually working or getting things done. Yeah, um, and you'll see it in the data, right? The, the, I mean, the, if you're measuring performance, the, the performance, it'll show. It, it, it'll show. Being there, it doesn't necessarily mean – I've known lots of people who come to work or who've never been really productive at all. They spend the time there like an attendance policy at school and then other people that are super productive because they are self-governing uh, and they're self-motivated to do a good job and so forth. And the manager has to recognize who's who and the nature of the tasks. And it's just not the same as the old rule where you have to come to the office and I can watch you doing your work. That's one thing. That's not going to cut it going forward. It's just not. And so I really do think supervisors have to get their heads around that. And so I agree with you. I do think that there's a time, and, and you know, you, you you have times where you convene your whole team so that you can all look at each other and they know who Kevin Daisy is other than just a disembodied face on a Zoom screen, right? They yeah. do need to know who you are as a person. Actually. Yeah, great. And, and, that, and so that's valuable, but I, I don't think that it has to be every day. And I really think the nature of the economy, the digital economy demands people are able to spread out. There are places where certain, ta- here's, here's an example. We, uh, when I worked at NATO, we were constantly trying to source uh, contractors to do fairly technical tasks. And some of the things that we were working on were in kind of the disruptive technology realm. And there's just not a lot of that skill present in Hampton Roads. Or it's, not ab- it's not abundant, so abundant that we could really find it whenever we needed it. If we had been in Austin, if we had been in Silicon Valley, if we had been in Washington in the Dulles Corridor, if we had been in Boston, no problem. It's a sea of labor with the skills that we needed. But in Norfolk, that just isn't true when it comes to this really disruptive technology. We are a tourism town. We are a military town. We are a shipbuilding town. And we are a intermodal shipping town for the most part, right? So high-tech data analytics people, we just don't have those folks in huge numbers here. So we needed to be able to look out far. You know, and so we had to change some of our contracts to allow remote performance because we did need to be able to go and get a person out of Boston to perform on this contract. Or we did need to have to go sometimes to Austin or Silicon Valley because that's where the talent was. And so I really think that the evolving uh, economy is going to demand more of that. And managers are just going to have to just they're just going to have to kind of get on board and adjust the aperture of the way they see the issue. So yeah, I don't want to overburden was, that, but I do feel strongly about that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, uh, we, yeah. we do too. I mean, we wouldn't, I wouldn't be the higher legal or law firm marketing experts locally. It's just not going to happen. Not I can find not. marketing people, but I'm looking for a very specific type of people and they're wherever they are. It's fine with me as long as it's uh, a time zone they can, be on a 9 a.m. call Eastern, then we're good to go. And I have employees West Coast that are on calls every morning with us at 6 a.m. their time. As long as they can do it and agree to do it, then we're good to go. So Great. We have the best talent. It's, it's got to come from wherever they are. They can continue their lives and take care of the things that they got to do and not have to move here or have to live somewhere else. 
And I talked about management having to change their philosophy. Labor has to change its philosophy as well, right? So I have a son-in-law, my my wife's daughter's husband is an engineer and he works for a company that's based in Japan. I won't name the company because I don't have his permission to do that. But he lives in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and the corporate headquarters is in Japan. And he's up in the middle of the night all the time. He's up in the middle of the night on conference calls with with Japan. And he just, in order to have the flexibility to be able to work in Sao Paulo, the Japanese company says, yeah, we're fine with that, but we're going to have a call at this time. And if that's 2 a.m. where it's, where you are, we expect you to be there. And okay, that's part of the deal. And that's a deal that we strike. And so all of us are going to have to to just realize that that working differently might be a, is a thing uh, in the coming century. Um, speaking I got, of working I got a young employee that... Um... Yeah. I got some of my employees, they, they're working at 6 a.m. and they're off at 2 p.m. And they, they love it. Awesome. Great. They're like, 2 p.m.? I got the whole day still at me. So, That's right. Yeah. And they're California, so they're probably, they go out for the, they got plenty of time to get there for their evening surf or, you know, all that stuff. And I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not joking because the surfing culture, you know, my friends used to do it when we were stationed in Camp Pendleton. They'd be up and out there on the beach at 5 a.m. They'd surf for two hours and still make it to work by 7.30. And, they, you know, that's yeah. great. What else are you doing at 6 a.m.? You're up just having coffee anyway, so get to work, you know? That's right, yeah. So yeah. It, it's working out good for some. I might move there uh, so I can get the same schedule as they do. But um, <laughs> that might, my wife and kids might not like that. Well, I wanted to dive into, uh, you know, you know, you mentioned some stuff, too, about, uh, you know, the technology. And we got kind of a two, two-pronged approach here. But uh, first off, you'd mentioned really just how things are changing from a technology standpoint. And, and you really mentioned like upskilling and, yep. and, and learning and, and things like that. So give me your take on that and, and what are you seeing and, you know, are yep. attorneys keeping up, you know, with, with what's happening? Are they keeping up? Some are, some aren't. So, and it's not just, it's not just attorneys, it's your clients. So let, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. When I was in the Marine Corps and then I, and when I worked at NATO as well, there was lots of discussion among many of the senior clients, the most seniors, the most senior people, the people who owned programs and so forth, or owned entire organizations. And they almost, you would hear people say, I don't do so. You'd hear senior, senior people say, I don't do social media. Or I don't, you know, they would say almost as a point of pride about how they rejected uh, technology. And I don't know, I have somebody that sets up my computer for me and blah, blah, blah. And, And I get it. There are some technical tasks that are just people have to be trained to do. But there is a level of tech that everyone needs to be able to be proficient at. You know, we no longer have the luxury of rejecting things like social media. When I was in the Marine Corps and, and when I worked at NATO, there were a handful of, of general officers that I would see out there on Twitter. And they were using Twitter, or then called Twitter, now X. They were using Twitter like pros. I mean, they were as good as anybody in the business. They were, they were as good with Twitter in terms of messaging to their people, in terms of sending strategic messages, in terms of communicating their priorities, in terms of communicating their values, they were really at it as anybody who does it for a living. And I like I looked at that and I said, if they can do it, why can't they all do it? You know, but all they, they decided to embrace it. And it was important. So we, my point is, we no longer, tech is becoming so pervasive in everything we do now. We no longer have the luxury of rejecting it. We no longer have the luxury of saying, well, I'm a pen and paper kind of guy. Okay, you can do that, but you're going to get left behind because tech is part of the new world. It's part of the new economy. And so you don't necessarily have to be an expert at it, but you do have to be conversant enough in it. 
in order to in order to supervise. You can't supervise tech people if you don't understand what they're doing. You can't um, reap the benefits of of tech in your business if you don't understand it at some level of competence. And that brings me to upskilling. If we're not upskilling going forward, there there was a time when you could get into a field and just sort of stay current in it, and you were okay. That's not the same as upskilling. Upskilling is learning new things and seeing how that how those things. For example, um, you know, data. One of the thing, one of my favorite areas of practice is data protection and, and privacy because I see that as super important uh, going forward. It is data protection and privacy is super important to people. It's important to people, customers. It's important to to the they value their privacy. So business has to pay attention to that. And so Europe is, was ahead of the United States in terms of regulating this stuff. We're starting to see a wave of that come into the United States, California with the CCPA and the, their follow-on statutes. Virginia now has a statute. It's not very powerful, but it is, it's there. It will gain power over time. And then other states have these things pending in their legislatures. People care about that. And if we don't upskill and learn that new area of law and understand how uh, how the application of these standards into a into a thousand different uh, business and industries. We need to understand all of that stuff in order to be able to practice competently in it as lawyers or as as business leaders, as managers, and so forth. Upscaling and learning new things that you're not comfortable with. I'm sorry, that's just how it's going to be. Hey, you hear a lot. There's just been cacophony of talk about AI and so forth. Uh, it generates a lot of headlines. I don't think that there's more than just like an understanding of it society-wide. We need to understand how AI is going to change things. It is going to replace people. And so uh, tasks that uh, were human tasks are going to be automated through AI. And AI isn't perfect, but it is getting better. If Moore's Law applies to AI, it is getting better all the time. It will always require humans to apply judgment to to proof things that are generated by AI. AI is going to be able to do a lot of document review, but at the end of the day, a humans are going to have to come in and validate the results. Mm-hmm. But it is going to make things so much more efficient that it requires it. People are going to have to upskill and change what value they can bring to an enterprise in order to account for the fact that AI is doing the stuff that doesn't need to be done by a person anymore. So um, if you're comfortable doing what you're doing right now, great. But you better, if you're looking to the future, you ought to think about what AI is looking. You look over your shoulder, AI is right behind you. And that, and I mean that for all of us in the legal profession, in the, you know, data marketing, analytics. Marketing, marketing, marketing. marketing. Right. Think about the number of tasks that AI is doing for you right now in marketing. And what you, what your job, Kevin, now, now you have to raise yourself up from the human tasks that you used, that only a human used to be able to do. But it gives you flexibility to look out deeper and to, and to apply your vision to try to continue to grow your business because AI, you don't have to worry. AI is going to do a lot of those things for you. It isn't going to do it perfectly. It's always going to require a human to come in and look behind it and make sure that it's doing things correctly. But it is, it is there. Um, I mean, Amazon's, I mean, look at, look at what Amazon is doing with AI. It has changed the face. It really has. I do than I ever did before because it's just so easy to use AI and people go, well, you're killing small business. And I go, look, the economy's evolving, whether you like it or not. I'm like, this is not on me. It is, I you can't stop it. Yeah. You can't stop it. It is happening. So get on board, use it for what it is. There's certain things that I need to put my hands on to pick. I would, there's certain things you would never want to buy without touching it first and feeling, you know, but there's other routine yeah. things that there's just no reason to spend your time. I can spend. I, I use it for a lot of things. Yeah, that yeah, are just- I know. Is, you know, clothes washing detergent. 
If I go to Walmart to get it, that's a 45 minute round trip. I just lost three quarters of an hour. That's the fastest I could possibly do it is to drive to Walmart, go in, get the product, go through the checkout and get back to my car and get back home. And I could use those 45 minutes more productively. And I let Amazon bring that stuff to my house. So I mean, actually, we got uh, Walmart, go. Walmart now, uh, actually a local company to Virginia beach here. Uh, it's a friend of mine that started it, owns it, has grown up, it's grown up. Uh, they have a contract with Walmart, and the Walmart beside my house or near it drops off drone packages all the time in the cul-de-sac next to me. So you order the detergent, a drone comes and drops it off right at your house. You work from home, you walk outside and pick it up, you're done. How quickly is that happening? So Amazon can do it in a day. You order it today, it's there tomorrow. Can drone up? Can is drone up doing this within hours? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, there's right now there's certain testing areas and there's certain radius that they'll go to. The Walmart's probably not even a quarter mile from my house, so um, I'm within one of those areas. But I'll hear a little buzzing and I'll be like, "Oh, that's Walmart," and um, they're okay. actually doing package deliveries. Again, within a certain radius. So, if thing you know, the thing is about any kind of retail, your customer base is probably within three to five miles before they go to the next place that's closer to sure. them. Within that, it's probably pretty simple for them to do with drones. They're not going to be flying over highways and probably you got military bases and stuff like that. But within a three mile radius, hey, they got a majority of their customers that frequent frequent the the store they can get to very rapidly. So um, yeah, when they figure out how to scale that and and to do it safely and reliably in a way that people are really comfortable with it, that's going to be a game changer. I know the drone up company and it's amazing. I'm so honestly, I'm proud that they're, they're here. They are really on the leading edge of that stuff. And they're right here in Virginia yeah. beach. That's, I mean, you'd expect yeah. a company that's that progressive to be like in Austin or somewhere or some tech center, but they're right here at home. So I kind of love that. Yeah, they're right here. Um, and uh, ex Navy SEAL Tom Walker uh, owned a company just like I kind of do, uh, Ray Digital. Uh, his building was just next to ours, actually. And um, yeah, I remember him telling me, "Hey, I'm starting this new thing, and uh, I was looking for investment money." And I wish I probably put some <laughs> into it. But um, but yeah, yeah right. it's just you know, so AI technology is gonna be going faster than ever. It's not slowing down for anyone. Nope. And if yep. you, unless you're retiring in the next couple a year two probably want to embrace it as much as possible don't be scared of it you have to make change always within business you you can't just you know pretend that the way you did business before is the better way because yeah you will be left behind for sure 100 and change has always been a thing right but now i really believe the curve is accelerating i think the curve is getting steeper and i think it's literally we're at a historical inflection point and that inflection point might have been five or ten years ago and we're just now kind of recognizing it for what it is but it is definitely getting steeper it isn't this flatter curve of change over time it is truly revolutionary change well i was actually i just finished the book for the second time uh think and grow rich by napoleon hill which i'm sure everyone's heard of if you haven't better go get it but he, he i think that book was written in the 30s after the great depression <laughs> Uh, he meant they mentioned he mentions in that book about how things have changed and with the industrial revolution and cars and electricity and and like technology is going so fast and that was almost a hundred years ago. So I think we're always surprised by it and we'll keep continuing to say it's going fast and 
you got to keep up with things. Don't always, I, I always like to say, don't adopt everything immediately. You know, I like to wait a little bit to say, okay, is this really going to be a thing? Or is it like, you know, because you can waste a lot of time trying to like learn and figure out every new thing. And then some things just fall off. They don't become a thing, right? AI I think is the jury's still out on crypto and NFTs and things like that because, it, yeah. you know, the underlying assumptions on that are so um, are so squirrely. And it's, a, you know, some people are coming out and saying, no, this is a, the next thing. There's a lot of scholarship out there that says that whole thing is just waiting to collapse. And I, I'm with you. I don't have any crypto because I'm terrified of it. You know, it is the ultimate fiat currency. It's only it has value because people believe in it, you know? Yeah, which, you know, it, which is interesting because that's all you really need. You just need excitement or belief in something, and that's worth something. So yep. um, I will say I have some, but not of any significance. Or So it's, it's almost like play money that I threw in. And Sure. I'm just well, now you've got a dog in the fight, right? If it blows really up, I don't care. Right. Small risk. Yeah. I, I, everything you had to share, I think uh, 100% agree with you. I think they're really good points for everyone listening. I mean, for, you know, being flexible with your staff, building a system. I think culture, if you have the right culture and systems in place, you can allow people to work from home and trust them. Uh, but you also know that your cultures, when you hire them, they you're, brought, you're bringing them in a certain way. If they're a good fit for your company and they care, there should be no problem. Uh, transitioning from a, an old culture that's been around forever that, into that might be more difficult, but you know, I, I think that's important. And then like you're saying, you gotta be learning. We always have to be learning all the time. And so that's something we have to keep up with. And then of course, technology is coming every day, uh, embrace it or you will be uh, retiring early or left that's behind. Right. I think I really do think of the, the, what I wanted to, if I could sum up, Kevin, it's really important for supervisory council for anybody who's got a supervisory role. And even if you don't have a supervisory role, but you, you, um, you know, that's your goal. That's your, your ambition is I, I really think council have to be, they have to be great at two or three things. They have to be pretty passable at two or three more things. If you're like a, if you're the general counsel, for example, of an organization, in-house counsel, let's just, that's an easy example company, publicly traded company, you need to be great at two or three things. You need to be pretty passable at two or three things, but you need to be conversational at everything else. So, you know, you don't need to be an expert in antitrust law. That's why you have an antitrust lawyer, but you need to understand, you need to be able to understand what he's saying. You don't need to be a tax lawyer. That's why you have a tax lawyer, but you better be able to understand what he or she is telling you about the tax implications of a transaction. And so you can be expert in your area and you can be medium in a couple more areas but you gotta i mean there's no nothing should be you know nothing should be a total mystery to you. Uh, and i've learned that over the years and anything that i found that was a total mystery to me i found that google was just an there are so many secondary sources to help you get smart i didn't know anything about data protection and privacy but when i started to hear people talking about it all the time i said to myself i should go learn about that that sounds really important and so you can teach yourself a lot just by going and reading secondary sources sooner or later you start people start repeating themselves and the things you're reading and you're like okay i've hit i've hit the critical mass i'm really yeah. I, i've I now understand the issue at least at a 70% level or something like that. And then you just keep perfecting. And the same with, same with cybersecurity. I'm self-taught in that stuff. So, you know, I didn't have any formal education, in it. but you got to be curious. You got to remain curious and you got to keep 
the personal discipline to keep upscaling. Um, because if you don't, you know, the days where you could just be, where the days where you could just sit down in one area and it would be the same type of practice for 30 years, I, I really think those days are over. Even in the most uh, traditional legal practices, real estate is no longer that way. AI is changing the face of real estate, right? I mean, so I don't know. That's the last thing I have to say I, about that. I, I love that. So I, I read a book recently. Um, I was looking for it on my phone that I can see in my downloads here. How to be better at almost everything. Yeah. Uh, by Pat by Pat Flynn. And so a lot of stuff in the book, kind of what you were just saying there is if you're a specialist, like you you spend all your time becoming uh you know almost hundred percent, ninety percent great at something, right? And so uh he talks about like bodybuilding and you know, if you want to bench press five hundred and fifty pounds, there's only a handful of people in the world that can do that, right? So it's uh, if you get to even four or 500, you're in the top 90 some percent you're trying, but you're still not maybe the the best or can lift the most. Right. So you can spend a lot of time and energy trying to be the best at something when you'd be better served getting to 70% or 80% and, and learning lots of different skills very well and not just trying to be a specialist at everything because at some certain point in time, either A, you have to dedicate your whole life to be the best, right? Like Tom Brady or the GOAT, right? You know, so sure. a lot of people fail at that. And so that puts them in a different place. They they feel like they haven't done anything good in life because they, they weren't the best. And that takes such a different mindset and dedication than just being good enough at different things that you can apply to a lot of different things in your in your business. Like a utility infielder in baseball who, who, you know, you could either be the best second baseman in baseball or you could be a guy who could be in the top half at five different positions. Right. You know, you, you could play the outfield or you could play third, short, second or even first. You know, Pete Rose played five, 500 games at five different positions. I mean, what a talent that is. How valuable did that make him to his managers? I, well, I, you know, the right fielder's hurt. You know, this matchup is really good. I need this guy at first base today. So, Pete, can you play right field? I mean, imagine how valuable he was to his manager because he could play at an elite Absolutely. level, certainly in the top half of the league, at five different positions. I think that's yeah. a really important thing to think about it across the board, not just in baseball, <laughs> but in your world. Yeah. Well, in my yeah. world. So the book, the book basically, uh, you know, uh, I think it's yeah, how to be better at almost everything. Uh, sure. He has a whole process for picking up and learning things uh, to a point and then saying, Hey, I'm good enough there. Now I can go to learn this other thing. I'm good right. enough there. And how he's applying those things to things that he normally wasn't good at uh, and combined you're better. Like people are like, wow, what's what's he doing? How's he doing all this stuff? Great book and uh, interesting. So, how to be better at almost everything? That's my book recommendation for today. <laughs> That's your second book recommendation. You're a good you're a good reader. I, I know got, of that I book. I haven't books. read it, but I'll yeah, I'll put it on my list now. Yeah, Think and Grow Rich, a classic, very good. Yep. Just to kind of get your mind and 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 how powerful your thoughts are, right? We we basically talk to ourselves all day more than we talk That's to anyone else. Awesome sitting down to think about how do I wire myself every morning, every night to say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to accomplish. And to your, basically to your minds locked in to be like, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, things, things start to happen when you do that. So I think like auto suggestion. 
a big part of that. Yeah. Well, Bush, yeah, I appreciate you coming yeah. to share. Anything else you want to share before we go? I'll put your website address back up here as well, cwm-law.com. Also, yep. you can connect with him on LinkedIn because that's where we connected originally. Found out we were local and met up. So any other way we can – I think can, I'm the uh, only Bracknell on LinkedIn, I think. I'm the only Bracknell on LinkedIn. Well, there you go. Easy to find. So, yeah, uh, yeah connect with him on there. I'm sure he'll uh, get back to you. If not, you can always reach out to me, and I can connect you awesome. too as well. Anything else you want to share before we go? No, the I appreciate you being receptive to the message there, flexibility and adaptability, and looking forward to change and embracing it rather than resisting it. Um, these are super important skills for all of us. This is not just about lawyers. It's about lots of different professions, and I think this is important to think it through. Uh, absolutely, yeah. My kids are you know, 12 and 10, and Gonna be a lot different for them, I'm sure, by the time they get out of school. But um, you know, something I gotta I embrace, we embrace with our team and our employees, and we have to we have to go with it. We have to make change and we have to accept it. And our team appreciates it. Digital natives and the rest of us have to decide to be digital immigrants. And by that I I mean coming in and assimilating to the digital culture as opposed to being born into it. You know what I mean? They're they're natives. Everything that we have to learn they grew up learning it's all intuitive to them in ways that we all had to figure this stuff out as adults but um that's the fact of the matter we we have to figure it out we have to assimilate to that culture gotta be done yep. all right well butch thank you so much for joining me you can stay on with me we'll we'll chat backstage but everyone if you're tuning in right now live have a great day get out there crush it work on your law firms and we'll see you soon see you butch Thank you for listening. We have been producing this podcast for years, have had hundreds of guests, and produced hundreds of episodes. We don't ask for much, but I do have one ask. If you find value in this podcast, please share it with one person just like you. The best way to do that is to send them to ArrayDigital.com, where we have a full library of all the episodes that they can sort by practice area and or state. So again, we appreciate you listening and thanks for sharing.